So we just sat around with this free bar and figured the gig was kaput. Yeah. And we just drank like crazy. We got a schnocker. Yeah. Bad. And then all of a sudden the gig was on. You know. <laughs> Tried to play, my God. Um, here I am. Because we couldn't play at all. <laughs> it's really weird because I'm not really speaking to you in front of me, but I have to think of you in front of me because if I don't, then I won't be able to speak to you. How you doing? <laughs> what can he keep down on the band, man? He was awful. <laughs> know what you're thinking another another intro from bed what the fuck you know what is this guy doing uh it's called you know it's like a traveling show this is supposed to be um oh i should get a sponsorship from the travel channel oh my god that was just a realization if we could do i know they don't know they don't do audio um but there must be is there a tra- is there a travel podcast network that's because that's kind of what this, the Wandering Wolf. You know what I mean. I am Yoni Wolf. This is the Wandering Wolf. Uh, I'm your, I'm your meager, humble, uh, excited. You know, proud of himself sometimes. Decently confident. Low self-esteem sort of carries over from the youth, but it's getting better and better as as I uh, get older and sort of more comfortable in my skin. Host Yoni Wolf. So, and, um, I, yeah, this is a different one. I think last week I was waking up hella early. This is a different kind of thing. This is, it is nearly noon, okay? But I had a late night last night. Uh, I, I, I was up at the Comet, um, which is a little bar in, here in Cincinnati where I live, and, it, it's, it seems to be where that where a certain music scene has set, uh, sort of um, descended upon, uh, and I don't know how to describe that music scene. Sort of, uh, it has jazz roots. Sort of, uh, a lot of a lot of guys that uh, or and gals that previously went to CCM, which is the the um, music program at, at uh, the University of Cincinnati. Uh, where my guest today, John Von Olin, um, teaches. Now he now he told me in this interview he now only does special master class kind of things. He's over the the daily hour lessons, which I can get. It's a, that's a weird thing to do, um, especially when your students are already bona fide players with with uh, with a personality all their own. But yeah, so so that's this bar, the Comet is sort of what, I, I won't say jazz, but but also just just rock, indie rock, you know, just like uh, anybody doing something creative in Cincinnati, music wise. This is kind of like where they sort of just hone their shit. It's a small little place, um, and I've played it. And my brother has a my brother has a weekly on Sundays called Sun Night, every Sunday night, uh, late night, and they do improv stuff. And play sort of um, music games um, and stuff like that. 
So it's a cool little spot. And last night um, is a series run by some some guys, Adam Peterson and Zohair, uh, and they. This is their hundredth night, so so they had a, a bunch of acts. They won. I think maybe they did a hundred acts. I just thought of that now. I don't know if that was the case. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's not possible. Anyway, they did a lot of acts for the hundred. Oh, hold on. Excuse me. Excuse me. Goodness. And I was one of them. Adam Adam reached out and asked if I would do uh, five minutes. So everybody did five minutes. So I played a couple new tunes. You know, this is a place to shed your shit, but the place was packed. I mean, that said, it was there couldn't have been more than 200 people in there. Um, but it's a small place. And it was jam-packed in there, and I was nervous as fuck. And people ask, you know, how do you get ner- why would you get nervous? You're, you know, this is what you do. You're a professional musician, blah, blah, blah. I don't get nervous before, like, a Y show. That's my band. I don't get nervous before a Y show. I don't get nervous before a solo rap show. Um, I, it, it, so, so a lot of it has to do with logistics, like um, the technical stuff, like knowing that the... Like I played like a, a, a keyboard last night that I'd never played a, a Nord, a Nord keyboard. And I knew that would be a little weird because I wasn't familiar with it. And the monitoring systems were weird and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, and just knowing that I would play new songs and, and have to play them on piano and sing them. And, and it's not just playing those two things. It's all about monitoring. That's what people don't understand that that don't do music um, on stages in front of people is that it can get weird based on the fact that you now you now you're singing into a mic and it's coming out and everything is louder. You know, if you're in a room by yourself playing piano and singing, you know you control the level just of every of everything just acoustically with your, you know, the way your voice is, the way your touch is on the on the keys. Um, or or the guitar or or drums or whatever you're playing, but in this situation, it it's uh, you know things are mic'd up and and uh, yeah it can get weird, and it did a little bit. Now I heard my vocal just fine, uh, you know as far as vocal monitoring. The piano was weird. The touch and the the velocity on the piano, what they call the velocity, was very weird. Uh, it, it was extremely sensitive, so. If you touched it a tiny bit louder, it got really loud. Or if you touched it a tiny bit quieter, it got really soft. So that was a little fucked up, but it doesn't matter. I had Doug and Josiah playing with me, bass and drums. And uh, they, you know, probably the piano was pretty quiet. I aired on the side of quiet because otherwise it was blaring. So, you know, probably sound like bass, drums, and vocals, which is fine. Played two new songs, kind of abbreviated versions of two new songs uh, and you know that in in and of itself is nerve wracking. I think it was fine. I don't think it it like bowled anyone over. Uh, you can sense how people look at you afterwards, like ah, this is good, you know, kind of thing. It, the energy was was weird and forced and put not forced, but just uh, nervous, nervous energy. Uh, but I sang them fine, you know, and we didn't fuck up drastically. I played a few wrong chords, but no one probably heard those. Um, anyway, yeah, that was that. 
My guest today um, it, b- b- taught any of those drummers there last night uh, that went to CCM, which they were a good... Uh, f- I, c- I can count right now my brother, Jeremy Cunningham, Ben Sloan, um, at least three, maybe four or five uh, drummers that went to CCM, jazz guys that are rock guys too, you know, and pop- popular music guys, just all around great musicians. Uh, studied under John Von Olen. But that's the least of what this guy sort of uh, is and considers himself to be, I think. You know, um, that's a chapter in his life, but this guy's a legend. This guy is a jazz legend, um, played with big guns. Woody Herman, Stan Kenton, those are his two sort of main guys that he toured with back in the day. And when I say back in the day, I guess I mean 60s and 70s, I think. And, I, you know, I didn't really know Mr. Von Olin. My brother would tell tale about him, I remember, when he, when he was in college. He would always talk about, about him. So I always had like a... A feeling about him, you know, he had like a just a legendary status, right? Um, and it seemed like an extremely like eccentric guy, old school jazz guy, you know. But you'll you'll get the feel for him uh, as we're talking to him here. But yeah, you just got to know the significance of of you know he's been around, man. This guy, this guy met everybody. I didn't ask him about all that shit because I, I, you know. Who did you meet? Who did you talk to? You know, I mean, he mentioned that, you know, he's hung out with uh, with those guys, with you know, Tony Williams and and uh, Miles's rest of Miles's band, and um, you know, at festivals or whatever. Uh, I don't remember where he said he met them, but yeah, I I didn't want to go too much into that. This some kind of um, fame worship or something like that. Um, because that's not what it's about. But he, I thought he gave some good insight about about music and playing and and uh, listening and all that stuff. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with John Von Olen. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I really wanted to do this because uh, you know I was telling John that, that we've only pretty much interviewed musicians in our generation. Right, exactly. Part. John is a legendary guy and he's he's in his own of an older generation. Yeah. yeah. So it seemed like uh, the thing to do. Well I came up uh, in a different day and time. Exactly. You know, yeah. When I when I was in college, which didn't last long, believe me. Uh, but there was so much work back then. For musicians? Yeah man. Okay. I mean, there was more than you could handle. And uh, so I just you didn't have to go to school. You know, you just went out in the business and learned it all. And that was it. And that and yeah, and it worked for you. It worked for everybody. Yeah. You, school was not necessary. I mean, it's probably necessary now. Uh, not only that, but it's, it's good to have all the musicians together in one place. Right. They can talk about jazz. That's what That was my mostly game. Creates, yeah. a, creates a community yeah, of yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, But, you know, we did it. First thing I did is I left North Texas and joined a dance band. But they had great charts and great musicians. And, you grew and, up uh, in North Texas? No. I, you went to school there. You went to school there? Yeah, yeah I'm from Indianapolis. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, but uh, I'd say to North Texas just for a little bit. We had a great scene there, boy. It was hot. But but the work, boy, I mean, you know, they just, uh, all of us got called by bands. Yeah. There was a lot of bands back then. Okay. You know, what year was that when you were at North Texas? 60. And, uh, I started in 60. And okay. uh, they had kind of a... Uh, well, it's like baseball is now. They had the minor league bands, and then you graduated to a big league band. Okay. And so I started out with the minor league bands and finally graduated to the big leagues. Right. How, how does that happen? I mean, how did it just by your chops alone, or do you have to have some sort of, like, you know, ends with the people? You know, is it more of a political game? or? or oh, what? no, no, no. Not at all. No, you just, uh, just played. You know, yeah. There was no... Uh, plan particularly, and uh, I played with this great minor league band. And then Woody Herman heard about me from somebody, and uh, usually there's somebody in the band that needed a drummer. For instance, somebody in the band knew a drummer, uh, they'd recommend him, and so he just flat out hired him. Right. No audition, no bullshit. And then uh, because he had heard about, he didn't even watch you. Well, he didn't know me at all. Right. Just and, on the re- whatever recommendation he had. Yeah, yeah. And so it, I got hired, that's all. And he was firing drummers right and left back then. Okay. Too, on the first night. Okay. So I did, you know, I quit one good band to go up, you know, to go join him. I, I didn't know if he was going to keep me. Right. As it turned out, he, he liked me. But, uh, uh, boy, as soon as I stepped up into that major league level, my God, we'd play a gig and jazz festival and Miles would be there I mean it's heavy people Max yeah. Roach you know they're all right there you can talk to them you know Tony Williams I, you know I cracked with him yeah you wouldn't get that in a minor league situation sure sure but it was a natural thing how, how long were you in what you call the minor league situation before the, the you know what yeah, these people question, found probably. you well I started playing professionally in earnest in 60 61. Right after you quit school. Yeah. Okay. 60, 61. So, and I joined one of the Woody. That's the big leagues in 67. Okay. Okay. So it, it so, had been a good oh, five, yeah. seven I years. Yeah. The Ralph Martiri's dance orchestra is good band, boy. I have good memories about When you that. say dance orchestra, that, that's a big band. Yeah. Kind of fast. Uh, well, just charts. And yeah. Play dance charts. Right. People dance. You know. What kind sure. of venues did you play at that at that time before you got in with Woody Herman? Like what? What? There were road bands. Okay. Yeah. I mean, every night was a different town. Okay. And the and the te- what what kind of play like dance halls? Yeah, ballrooms. They still had them uh, from the old days in the big band era. You know, right. Way back in the forties. Sure. But it was it was disintegrating. It was falling apart. I got it on the end of it. This was the tail end of that. Of that, yeah. okay. But the jazz bands like Woody, they continued on. Yeah. We still played for dancing with Woody and Stan Kenton. We played a lot of dances, but they were jazz bands. What's what, what's your distinct? What's the distinction? Less charted? Oh like- uh, yeah, jazz bands. Uh, well, first of all, the leaders, the jazz person, you know, the dance band leaders, they they put a, a finger on you the way you play it. You know, I mean, you start playing some bebop shit, man, and you'd, you'd lose your job. Right. They wanted to be very streamlined and very, you know, staid. Were those white bands or black bands that, or both? Well, I was on the white bands, yeah. Okay. There's one thing I missed was being on Basie's band or Ellington, but I don't know. I wouldn't have wanna, wanted to be on uh, Basie's band because, uh, oh, I'd love playing, you know, the charts and the Freddie Green and the time thing. But he, the Count liked a good show drummer. 
and I'm not that, you know, I don't have chops to do that. Yeah. You know, so... For solos and stuff, you mean? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I could play a solo, but not the kind they wanted. They right. Want somebody to just blow it out. You know, right. Like style. I'm not like that. Yeah. Right. I relate. We're, we're similar in that way. I've yeah. always, you know, thought yeah. that about myself, too. I, yeah, because Count wanted the, he wanted the show, yeah. along with a great drummer. Yeah. And, you know, like Sonny Payne, those guys, man, they, they put on a show and they did a solo. Right. Twirling sticks. I couldn't believe that Sonny Payne, man. You guys missed it when you. I've seen videos of Sonny Payne. Well, you've seen the YouTube, but man, I saw him with Harry James in '67. Yeah. uh, Out the out in Vegas every night for thirty nights, and we were out there. And Sonny, by then, boy, he really had that stick twirling thing together. I mean, he he was twirling sticks. Those sticks were out. Up in the air all the time. It wasn't just once <laughs> in a while. Levitating, kind of. Yeah, never even I mean, touched him with I a chance. Dude, shit, I couldn't believe. Yeah, one time he, he one time he, one time he threw the stick behind him while he's playing. He's kicking the band. He threw the stick behind him, and hit the wall, and he caught it without it looking. Back. <laughs> and without looking, he kept playing. And then uh, he kicked the band sometimes. You know how you hit, hit the bass drum and the cymbal. Uh-huh. Well, he'd throw the stick into the cymbal and it'd flip up like this, and he'd catch it. You know. Oh my god. Yeah, he was. What do you? What's your take on this? That kind of showboating kind of thing. I love it. You love it. Okay. But because he could play his ass off. Right. Right. He right. played better than anybody. <laughs> and right. He's still doing that. Yeah. You know? No, he was. Sonny was something else. One time he got done with the tune, I just couldn't believe it. And. uh he was sitting there after he was done. He looked down at me like, I'm the king. <laughs> you know, boy, he was, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Mel Lewis is, of course, my favorite. But yeah. it's hard to deny Sonny, man. You know, when he was in his bag, forget it. <laughs> Talk about a show, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mel Lewis, you actually... Studied with him for a time. Well, he didn't teach. Okay. No, I just I was friends with him. You guys, okay. Yeah, when I was in New York, I'd hang out with him, uh, go to some of his recording dates, uh, a couple of his gigs, and uh, it, Mel played pretty light. You know, he, on record, he sounds like thunder sometimes, but he didn't play that loud. And uh, we. Who did he play with for for our, for our listeners? If uh, who who? Thad Jones. Okay. And he had his own orchestra. With Thad he played. Jones. With, uh, he played with everybody. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. With, uh, Frank Sinatra. You name it. Okay. Just, okay. You know, he was a uh, yeoman down in the trenches. He played with everybody. Got There's it. a book out on him. Just came out. Okay. It's really good. I've so checked it. It's, it's uh, the view from the back of the band or something like that. That's the name of it. Hmm. Yeah, he played with everybody. But I saw him at the uh, Basin Street East, and he was backing up a singer. And, uh, you know, I, when I heard him on record, I thought he was beating the crap out of the drums, you know. And then when I saw him, man, he was just loose as a goose. You know, I was just yeah. falling out of him. Yeah. You know? And I remember saying to myself, John, you're doing it all wrong. We Had, had you been hitting, trying to hit yeah, hard back then? I was using stuff? my muscles. Right. You know? I'm not a school drummer. I wasn't taught. I taught myself. And uh, so I had to start all over. And uh, that was that it. Watching him. Oh yeah. Okay. So I got home. I I started a whole new approach. How did How did you go about sort of tearing down the old ways and, and starting anew? Yeah, that's a good question. I uh, well, I got into sound. You know, I thought, well, you know, sound. 
instead of worrying about rhythm and technique, I, I thought about sound, getting a good sound. Every time I hit the drum, especially the right hand, because you can't concentrate on four things at once, just one. So I, I picked this limb because it's probably the most active. Yeah. And you get that, you know, where the tip of the stick hits the cymbal. You know, I'd make it the best sound I could get every time I hit it. And it was a concentration exercise. And uh, and if you if you get the, a really good sound, if you hit it too hard, that's not it. It's right. harsh, you know. And if you play light, that's a handy waste. You don't want that. Right. So to get that balance, you're probably playing right. Okay. You know, and I was. I was starting to drop the stick more of its own weight. You know, and getting that good sound. Yeah. And then that transmits to the rest of the body after a while. And you do that with the comping hand too. And the, yeah, you don't think about the other hand, the other limbs, just that one. Yeah. And the rest of them, I just let them do what they do. They follow the other one. Yeah. I never think about it at all about what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked him how he tunes his drums. He said, well, you want to come back on that gig, that Basin's 3Ds? So in the intermission, it's a really swanky place. It's New York? Yeah. Okay. It's a big swanky place. And I went back there, and he let me go up on the stage, and all the guys were taking a break. And he said, you know, he said, just tap the drum. You know? So with my inimitable touch, I went boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and he stopped me. <laughs> he said, whoa. You know, because the people were eating. You know, right, right. Boom, bang. <laughs> No, I had no touch at all. Huh. So, so after that, I started working on touch. Uh, yeah. And when, when was this? I'm just trying to get a oh, timeline. Probably around 67. This is right around when you joined the big leagues, essentially. Yeah, yeah but really, I didn't really get into it until I got out of the, the road. Okay. And I came home, and I had a lot of time on my hands. Right. And so then I started playing like eight hours a day, just playing that sound. Yeah. You know, I play fours or solos for a while, but I concentrate on whatever I hit, the best sound I could get. So did, did you also become super particular about uh, the cymbals that you bought and stuff like that? Like the actual, you know, and the tune, well, tuning of the all drums? Do. we all do. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. And some cymbals, there's nothing you can do, man. It's just, you know, clanging, loud right. cymbals, you know. But uh, if you get a good one, right, you're lucky. First of all, if you get a good one, it's like it's like the sword of, of a knight almost. that has to match your your touch on the, yeah. the with the stick and well, you know. yeah, because you're right. Because I've got a pretty wide stroke, you know, about like that. Yeah, you know, and he, I can still play soft that way. You know, I learned how to do that. But it, you know, a lot of guys say play down like this, you know, but I can't do that. It's just not. You like to move a little bit. I talked to Mel Lewis about it on the phone because he, like I said, he didn't play that loud, and, and he plays from the wrist. And uh, you know, I told him, I said, "Mel, I'm really having a problem playing like you're talking about." You know, and I said, "I just naturally want to do more arm movement or something." And he said, "Well, I'd rather see you do what's natural for you, right, than, than impose something right. that I do." And boy, that was good advice. Yeah. And it, it got me to the point now, if I'm teaching or just talking with a young drummer, I'll tell them that uh, the, uh, the only way to play drums is the way you play. Right, right. You know, there's no dogma. 
Right. Every cat is completely different than the next cat. Yep. You know, I mean, like John Taylor, you know, I don't play anything like him. Yeah. You don't play anything like at all. He's not even close. That's the guy playing right now. Okay. For the but yeah, but I'm, I'm not talking about his speed and hitness. Yeah. I'm just talking about that stroke. Yeah, that's his. totally different technique. Yeah. That, that said, there has to be some, some tenets about tightness and looseness or something. Like, you don't want to be tight, right? I mean, will you tell a young drummer that? I can't do that. No, he plays, he, he can tighten up a little bit. Yeah, but it works for him. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I've seen other drummers like that, too. They're, they're tight-ass drummers, but it works. They go, yeah, yeah. But it ain't good for me. I don't. I tried that. And uh, Ed Brazil, remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great drummer, but... Uh, Very tense. Ed uh, was playing... Just playing real tight with his muscles. Yeah. And I kept telling him, and it didn't look right. Right. But he was so musical. Yeah. In his head that it worked, you know. And, right. But I told him, I said, man, that's going to back up on you someday. Yeah, you can't, you get the carpal tunnel and the. Oh, well, that's what he got. Yeah. In both arms. Oh. He came to school that one time, he had cast on both arms. <laughs> I, we, I just laughed at him. I said, I told you it was going to happen, man. You're going to hit a brick wall. Did he, you did, he, did he change his style after that? He sure did. Okay. He's, he's wonderful. He knows now. Okay. You know. I haven't seen him in a long time. He's in Colorado. Yeah. He's Boulder. Yeah. 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 I just remember seeing him uh, a couple times at the Blue Wisp in the late 90s. Yeah, he was he, he was, was good, man. I love Ed. He's such a, a good guy. I, I miss him. He was one of the few guys. You know, they have that little cubby hole in six rooms. Uh yeah, you could wear that. Down CCM? Oh, yeah, yeah. For drummers? Yeah. And they all got their own practice room, which is great. And, they, well, you know, I just walk back there to go in the office, and uh, and I'll hear them practicing. Nobody's playing swing. Everybody's playing straight. You know, but Ed Brazil, he was always just playing swing. He never played A's notes. He was just back listen to him in the, his room and he'd be playing swing. Yeah. Well, other guys would play, would be playing rock music or something? Yeah. Okay. You know, they're, they're straight edge. Yeah. You know, straight edge is great, but the swing thing is, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's just because you're from a different generation, but I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I think that swing, I think that swing beat is, uh, more conducive for uh, art. Okay. You know, I'm not saying that you, you, just because you play that you're going to be in the realm of art, but I think it, it can get you there. Why, why do you think that? Well, because eighth notes have a way, straight eighth, yeah. have a way of putting you, and it's a good box, man, I must say. It's hot, you know, but it, it's, it feels good, but it's kind of a box. You know, and it's hard to break free of it. It's a little stiffer. You know, well, you got eighth notes, and then you got sixteenth notes, and 32nd notes, and that's about it. You know, whereas the swing thing, you start breaking down those triplets, low, 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 and then, you know, you start breaking that down, you, you get in the realm of, it can really, really go into something much deeper. So when you when, when you talk about swing, you also, you're talking about going between four and three a little bit, and, and with okay. triplets well, and things. Well, swing thing is basically, triplets. Or, yeah. Now we're talking mathematics, it's obviously it's feel, which is subjective, not objective. Right. It's, uh, there's no words for it, really, because each guy has a different feel, but it's basically a, uh, a shuffle beat. Yeah. Whereas uh, straight H is... Right. Yeah. 
And, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, Latin, Cuban especially, not South American, they're loose as hell. But uh, Cuban, which I love dearly when they get into it, but it's a box. It puts you in a box, and it's right. a great box, man. <laughs> right. Sometimes when you're there, you don't give a damn about anything else. You know? Right. But that's. Uh, but if somebody wants to start creating, you know, with the other guys, I think the, the swing thing is a little better. But then there's free groups, you know, like my friend over Morgan Powell over in uh, Illinois University. Man. He's been doing that all his life, man. He's free. The best avant-garde writer. And he'll, what they do, they have, there has to be a good sympathetic with the guys. But uh, I played with him a couple times, and we'd play a tune. Just We were at a club, and uh, we'd just play a tune. didn't matter what it was. And then we'd just stop and play free and never come back to the tune. Okay. You know? <laughs> so never go back to the tune. No. But it, had, but it, it sort of... It, that was the beachhead. Was the was the tune? And then, I guess. Yeah. Just something to do, and then we just launching point. Then, yeah, and then we just throw ourselves the four winds. Yeah. And then we'd actually create a, comp- a composition on the fly, all of us, you know. And uh, boy, you've got to be listening. Yeah. And you've got to trust everything everybody does. If it's not like you put down, you don't feel like you're being put down for what you just played. You know, everything's valid. Everything. Right. Right, you know, and so you don't have to worry about being hip or some bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's, I like to, I like a trio. Like it's hard more than three people. It gets difficult for me to be in a free situation. Trio's a good group for that. Yeah. You gotta have the right cast uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Boy, that, that's fun. But even that, though, I I still like coming back and playing. Time. Man. This is yeah, my first love. Mm-hmm. Did 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 you ever get into uh, any kind of? more straight stuff rock and roll stuff or anything like oh, that oh yeah you did well you had to I mean I worked yeah. I was a worker so um, if a rock band if I a rock band needed from, a session guy or yeah, something I didn't come from schools I came from work sure so it was a hell of a lot of rock and roll I played I had to yeah you know and, and uh, I liked it you know, yeah back when I was doing it I played this joint called The Walking down in Kentucky boy that place was deep yeah, you know, I mean that was a good old boys man, right? And the place a lot of packed. criminal activity. It was packed every night, six nights a week, banging out that rock beat, you know. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah, yeah, a lot of drinking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you 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 mentioned a couple of times, you know, just about not being schooled and being self-taught, but now you teach at a school. How do you feel about school versus self-learning? You know, or, or just yeah, getting thrown into the fire and learning. Well, I think Jeff Hamilton, a great drummer, you know, he's an old friend of mine. But yeah. He's a good case in point. He he studied. The, he was in Indiana University, but he studied with this guy uh, McMahon, I think was his name, up in Anderson, Indiana, and he was a good uh, rudimental teacher. Uh-huh. And Jeff learned that cold man. He got it all, and so, and I didn't, you know, so. It's like, uh, I play musical, Jeff plays musical, you know, we got that music art side, but in his back pocket, he's got dynamite. Okay. Right, right. because of the, you know, he worked on the rudiments, he he got all that. And you never did that? No, I have no hands at all. Just fully intuitive feeling. Yeah, I I got a natural open roll, but that's it. Yeah. No paradiddles, no single strokes, nothing. Yeah. 
Uh, he's got chops, you know, he's studied chops. You know? Right. So it, I think what happened to me was when I started out, I taught myself, and, uh, and then I started writing into the business. And I played for years, probably five, six years, and I, finally I said, I'm going to learn the rudiments, you know. So I sat down, bought a practice pad, and I, I tried to do it to impose those rudiments on my playing, but the problem was I had too much mileage just right. playing with my, you natural, already my had, natural thing. Yeah. And uh, to impose that rudimental thing on me to, to screwed me up. You've got to do that first when you're young. you got to do it first. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't. And it, it, it's okay. I made it work. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's one great thing about jazz. If you can't play it, you don't have to. Yeah. Play something else. <laughs> something, something else that you can play. Yeah. I have a question to go way back. Like, what what got you into uh, swing music? You know, uh, or jazz early on? Well, there wasn't anything uh, else. Okay. You know the. Uh, well, there was there was popular music and yeah, yeah but the, it was swing based. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the British beat they call it the, the Beatles. They brought over the uh, straight eighth thing. Okay. They're, they're the ones that did that. You know, okay. Before that, I was rock and roll with swing. It okay. Was shuffle. Yeah. It was kind of a yeah. cheap swing. Or yeah. Cheap shuffle. Yeah. Uh, Bill, Bill Haley in his comments. I don't know. It was right. You know. Elvis. Whatever. Yeah, all that shit. Yeah. It was all swing based. Yeah. So you know, I. That's that's what you played back then. Okay. And and the. But I mean, the, the, I, I would draw a distinction between popular music, even if it's swinging, and. Uh, you know, big band music or dance band music, stuff like that. What got you into that stuff? Well, I'm a, by nature, and my first love is a, a, a big band drummer, you know. And uh, uh, all my friends, I grew up with a lot of good musicians, really good. And uh, they were all trying to get me into more small group stuff. Uh -huh. you know? More artistic things usually comes from small group. Probably also probably more money for each member. Yeah. Money, money and art don't go together. Okay. You never think about it. Okay. You know, just, just play. You know, uh, if you're looking for money, get another wrong business. Yeah. Or play a music that makes money. Right. You know, but, uh, even when I was with the big names, I didn't make any money. Yeah. You well, know, I think with Stan Kenton, I saved a hundred a week. But that's that's as far as I could do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't equate art or you know what you want to do your soul you know the reason you got into playing in the first place when you were a kid is, you know this stuff titillated you and you wanted to do that so that's what I want to know what what was it that titillated you oh, what did you hear that you were like I have to do that I knew it when I was five okay yeah right away my dad he uh I remember he back when they had 78s yeah I mean this is 1940s you know and he he and his friend uh, came to me, and I was four or five years old, and handed me a bunch of 78s. He said, listen to these. And they were all Count Basie and Duke Ellington, you know. Okay. And so right away I was into it. Yeah. Know, and classical. So, uh, yeah. That, and why the drums? <laughs> well, that's kind of a long story. Uh, I played piano, a classical piano, for 10 years when I was a kid. Took lessons, played recitals. It's all classical, Chopin and stuff. And then I took a trombone when I was in the fifth grade and became pretty good at it. Uh, I played professionally for a while. 
But then uh, I you saw played professionally before, like before college and everything. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Then I was playing around in Indianapolis. You know? Yeah. Sure. Uh, but when I but say, you were good enough to do when that. When I say professionally in earnest, I would have to say when I hit the road. That's, that's okay. Different, you know. But anyway, uh, I uh, I was 14 years old and I'd never seen a big band ever. And uh, Stan Kenton's band came through Indianapolis and played at a ballroom. And it was my first date. I remember this chick I asked her out. My dad had to drive us because I couldn't drive. Was 14, uh-huh. you know. That's pretty young of you to go on a date. Yeah. I mean, ki- kids do that a little bit. Maybe. I guess. Yeah, I mean, younger than yeah. me, I'll say well, that. I signed with this chick. And I thought, you know. <laughs> anyway, I took her out, and uh, my dad, he sat with her in the back of the ballroom the whole gig, man. The whole time, and and it was a dance, but there was, oh my God, there was hundreds of people there. And uh, they were all standing around the band, and Mel Lewis was on drums, you know. And I stood right in front of Mel Lewis, I was right in the front. And, uh, well, shit, you know, I was ruined. So that's I mean, what that did was it. it, you know, forget it. I never talked to my date once. <laughs> I, I apologized to her afterwards, but uh, I wasn't about to leave that that standing position up there because uh, if you did you'd lose it right you know? and the band was so hot <clears throat> you know <laughs> and those sounds I mean my god transformed me so people weren't even barely dancing everyone was standing watching well they always had and when I was on the band the same way we played a dance we had a big crowd around the band and then back in the back some people were ballroom dancing right you know, should, you know, paying attention to them right but we played dance stuff but Kenton's kind of dance was... You couldn't dance to it, really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff is a little... Yeah, little too right. complex. But yeah. he got a lot of dances because that's what he came out of. Right. And the booking office, uh, that's how we kept playing every night. You know, playing dances and concert once in a while. Then he got into clinics. And then we had to do clinics a lot. The whole band? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'd go in every afternoon... And play a half-hour concert for the student body, and especially the band members. Colleges all over. Yeah, okay. all over the country. And then, uh, and then we do a clinic, you know. And then we had to play a concert for the whole community to pay for it that night. Okay. You know, so it was a tough schedule. Man. Yeah, it's a lot. We were working hard. We were we were tired all the time. Okay. And uh, one time we had a gig for a month out in Vegas at the Tropicana. And after about two weeks, you know, I started feeling good. And, you know, I thought, God, I've forgotten what it was like to feel good. <laughs> right. You know, just normal. Being in know? one place for a yeah. while. <laughs> yeah, because you're beat all the time. Did you? But the thing that was good about it, though, yeah. was, you know, it was a tough life. But when you hit, you know, with the band, uh, man, you'd go up to the top level. Right. Know, and uh, you don't... You just don't get that uh, in a local area. I mean, it's good in a local area, and I love it. But uh, boy, somebody like Kenton or what? When it's right, yeah, it's the very best. Yeah, it's the top of Mount Everest. You know. Was 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 there a lot of crazy shit that went on in those days? Like a lot of debauchery and madness? <laughs> no shit. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> well, especially at first, when I uh, went out on the road when I was lit when I left North Texas. We were a bunch of kids out on a bus, you know, in the back of the bus. Yeah. He did everything, man. <laughs> you, like, bring, bring girls with you on the bus and stuff no, like that? No, uh, not too much. 
Not too much. Later on, they, there was chicks called groupies, and they'd hang around. What's that? Well, <laughs> no, I'm just well, these young, young chicks that wanted to hang around the guys in the band. Yeah. And then they'd hook up with one. And, but we made a rule on Kenton's band that no chicks on the bus. Okay. Was he was he a rule maker type no, guy? No, or, not no, not at all. Just no, the we, whole band we decided. Did, yeah. We just felt free on the bus just to be guys. Yeah. Know? And then this dumb trumpet player, he brought a chick on, and the whole band was totally mute from then on. We didn't uh-huh. say anything. <laughs> so she got off. It took away your, yeah. your freedom of speech. Yeah, you know, because guys are guys. You know. Yeah, couldn't cuss anymore and couldn't couldn't do anything. <laughs> it, those were different times too, I guess. Where everything was a little more, uh, you know, savory at least on the surface. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. there was a yeah, the idea of, of what's what's proper. Something well, like we that. We sure weren't worried about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were awful. I I talked to somebody <clears throat> at CCM. Was Scott Richard. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "Well, you guys, you're you're so pure, man. You're clean cut and everything." And then he told me the shit they were doing up there, man. It was worse than what we did. <laughs> yeah, Scott, Scott is uh, he's, was, yeah. Was Richie, Richie wild? Yeah. I don't Richie remember. Was very wild. Very okay. wild. Yeah, okay. more so than most. Well, he's, he's from that area down there in Kentucky where I played that rock and roll game. Okay, that's yeah. where he's from, yeah. and okay. I know that area. Yeah. He was he was conceived at one of those gigs, perhaps. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah when he gets the whiskey rolling, he got it. gets kind of kind of wild. <laughs> but so you stopped drinking at one point. Well, I did it uh, more than once. Okay. Uh, I grew up uh, no drinking. I mean, it just wasn't in our house. It wasn't like a rule. We just didn't do it at all. And uh, then when I hit North Texas, I got with the guys and started getting fucked up. You know, barbiturates. We had the, not barbiturates, but the, the uppers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Know. And uh, I got hooked on those real bad. Real bad. Like pills? Yeah, I was, uh, I was going on binges. You know, I wouldn't sleep sometimes for a week. Okay. You know? And, uh, and, and then I realized it wasn't good for me, and then and I'd come down off it, which was awful. Then I'd go for like three months and not do anything, and then I was depressed, real depressed, you know, in an abyss almost. And then I'd take a pill somehow, some guy gave me that, and I'd feel good again, and I'd go off on a bench. And I kept doing that, I did that quite a few times, and I realized the last time I did it, I said, the next time I do it, I won't make it. Hmm. And I, and I, couldn't, I couldn't stop myself, you know. I was really hooked, man. Yeah. Just some kind of amphetamine, something. Yeah, it was speed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, uh, I was in the army for a couple of years down there in Kentucky. That was before or after Texas. After. After Texas. Yeah, it was Fort Knox. Okay. Down there in Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, that first year, uh, I was really messed up, man. (laughs) In the army too, but we had this band we just didn't do anything you know but that's what you were enlisted as as a band member yeah okay and so you know we just didn't do anything we didn't work we didn't play any marching gigs or anything maybe once a week and i i just i was playing that rock and roll club i was drinking i was taking pills really getting messed up and uh then i realized i was i was up against a brick wall i was scared because I just knew I wasn't going to make it, you know, if I did it again. 
And so uh, they had this thing called a showmobile. It came out of Fort Meade, Maryland, and they were looking for a drummer uh, for the band, for the show. And uh, it was a national search. So I'd made this record with the, called the College All-Stars on DECA Records, and, uh, and it was a good record. Keith Jarrett was on it. Okay. Huh. It was the first record he ever made. Really? Yeah, in his autobiography, he mentions that. Oh, that's too. cool. He was 16. We were college. It said college all-stars, mm-hmm. but he was so damn good, and he just won this piano competition, so he was on it. We thought he was square as hell. We didn't. We were all drinking beer, you know. We just farted him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Children, what we did. a 16-year-old kid. But uh, it was a good record. Now, even Keith said that. But... Uh, so I sent that record to the showmobile and I got the gig just off that and I promised myself that uh, when I went to Fort Meade that I was going to definitely go after not doing that shit anymore yeah new circumstance everything getting away from guys I knew all all the guys you were hanging with were all doing those drugs as well yeah and so uh, and I promised myself when I got there I wasn't going to do anything except smoke cigarettes. That'd be my only advice. So, uh, and back then, everybody smoked cigarettes, you know. Yeah. Common. So, uh, I went to Fort Meade, and uh, I remember I took them one day at a time. I'd get up in the morning, and I'd say, now tomorrow, I might really get fucked up. But today, and tonight, I'm not going to do a thing. Hmm. You know, and I'd do it every day, just like that. You know? even, you had quit even drinking? Everything. Okay. Yeah. I didn't do a damn thing. No pot, nothing. And uh, then I met this guy at the showmobile that, uh, I don't know, he just helped me out a lot. You know, we talked every night. And, and then I got, to, I found out he was into, he had a yoga master, a guru. Okay. And uh, so I, I was kind of interested in that anyway. And But he was really into it. So uh, he, uh, he had me meet this master on the phone. So I talked to the that master of Subramanian, a great, wonderful the guru. And, uh, and then who, who was where, like in India or something? Or Well, yeah, he, he, he'd done his schooling, so to speak, uh, in India, but he was American. Okay. He's from the Rocky Mountains. So uh, I stayed with him for 20 years. Okay. You know, I mean, I talked to him every week. I was kind of on the periphery all the time. I, I couldn't be a monk and, like, really get into it because, boy, that's another life, man, you know. But you would talk to him and dab- dabble in that sort of thing. Like, yeah. d- dabble in what? Like meditation? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, he'd, he'd just kind of guide me easily right along, make sure I didn't... When you start meditating, you can go off into some strange areas, yeah. And you can keep you away from all that. Just keep you right in the middle, you know. And uh, he was a, well, I can't say enough about him. Yeah. And, and he, helped, he really was a crucial person in your life at that time. Yep. And but even till now, that kind of he saved my physical life and my soul. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but I stayed with him for a long time, and then finally I got so far into Hinduism in India that uh, I was over there twice with him. Okay. And, uh, and I loved it. I really did. I still do. But boy, I just—I ha- would have to trade in this life for that life. Right. And make choices. 
Yeah, and I, I'm still wanting to play, you know. So. And you're playing in clubs where people are drinking, yeah. and you know, it's yeah. that kind of world. Yeah, so anyway, I quit drinking in 65 and uh, quit doing all that stuff. And then I uh, played with Woody, and I wasn't real happy on Woody's band, really. And then Why so? Oh, the bass player and I didn't hook didn't up. Lock up. Okay. Uh, we did, uh, personality-wise, we did, but uh, not on the bandstand. I, yeah. I, was, I was going through it. I was green. Yeah. You know, I'm in the big leagues, but I was still green. Yeah. It, it's, it was natural. Woody was wonderful. He he didn't uh, he didn't tell me how to play. He didn't do anything, but he kept me. Yeah. You know, I guess he knew I could do it, but and uh, I stayed with him a year. And then uh, I started getting it. Okay. Know? And then I quit. And I was going to stay another year, but I was up to here with it, man. I just, you know, every night. And he, Woody talked to me. He was real nice. He wanted me to stay. Okay. He said, I think it'd be good for you. And he said, it'd be good for me now. Huh. And because I, he was he was used to your playing. And yeah, he, yeah. Well, not only that, but he nurtured me all yeah. the way. And I finally got it. You know, I was a big league drummer. Right. But uh, he... I told him, no, I can't do it. Yeah. What, why, why were you so adamant about not about quitting because at that Because I, was, I wasn't happy on the band. Yeah. You know, I just wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. But he did, sure did teach me how to play. Did but, you know that you would go on to do something, you know? Well, I wanted to play with Stan Kenton. Okay, you already knew that. Yeah, yeah. but Stan was off the road by then. Okay. I, I thought he just went, you know, back the whole thing. So I figured, uh, well, I'll go play shows or something in Vegas. I don't know, because they had some great bands out there. And uh, but, so I quit drinking anyway. But then about six, 1968, 69, right in there, a couple of years, I started hitting the drinking. Okay. Just drinking. I'm, this is, were you, you, you weren't on the road at this point? No. I, yeah, that's 68 to 69. I got off of Woody's band. Yeah. So I was just fucking around, man. You know, I was with my back, buddies. Back here, back... Indianapolis. Yeah. Indianapolis, yeah. Yeah, and I was with my buddies and drinking, you know. And, and then uh, I joined Stan Kenton. He called me. I was out in Vegas. I was going to work out there. And he called me. He said, I'm starting a road band up in earnest year-round. And he wanted me to play, you know. And uh, So I joined the band, and the band was a drinking band, boy. Had you met him previous to that? Yes. Okay. Uh, I did. Uh, Briefly. Okay. Yeah, when I was really young. But he knew your reputation and he had seen yeah. you play. Yeah. Well, he, I think he always did want me, but it, it, uh, it just didn't work out. Yeah. You know? Anyway, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I joined the band and y'all, the guys were drinking, man. I mean, big time. They're yeah. drinking around the clock, you know. They'd get up in the morning and party on the bus. Yeah. You know, and then we'd take a nap after, after the trip before the gig. And then they wake up and you just feel like shit. Right. And then go to the gig and party, and then party after the gig. <laughs> oh yeah. man! And he didn't. He didn't mind the band. Well, hell, he was worse. He was worse than anybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't drink uh, before the gig or during the gig, but after the gig, man, he could down a quart of vodka just like that. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But anyway, you know, I had to stop because my body just wouldn't take it anymore. You know? Yeah. And one day it just said, "That's it." You know. I didn't make a decision. My body did. Yeah. I couldn't even drink water, you know. So I checked into a motel in L.A. We had a little time off. And I dried out. You know. Just by yourself? Yeah. 
Yeah, I just laid there like this, you know, with the TV on for three days. Wow. Yeah, and then, uh, and then after that, I quit again, you know, because I knew the band was going to get good because we had the makings of a really good band. We had a great leader, yeah. and all the charts were great. And also, I was comfortable with the band. I wasn't with Woody, but with Stan, I was. Just with the personalities or playing wise, you mean? Playing wise. Okay. Well, it was the first band. I was. It was a kid. I was in the Stan Kent. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I felt like I was home. You know, like it was easy. Yeah. You know, it was easy for me to play that band. Do you? What do you think about uh, drinking and playing? Like, was that? Would, would people be drunk while they were playing, or, or some guys approaching yeah. it, or yeah, some guys and they played good. Yeah. You know, they they had a working relationship with alcohol. Sure. What about you? How did it affect your time, did, or did it not? I think I was okay, um, although one night, <laughs> it was real bad, man. We played Princeton University. It was an outdoor gig, and they had the tents set up on campus, and uh, they had a free bar that night, and uh, we set up all the stuff. That's always and, dangerous. Yeah, oh yeah, and then, but we set up all the stuff. And getting ready to play, and then it rained like hell. Oh no! You know, and the bandstand was covered, so that was cool. So they had, so we just sat around with this free bar and figured the gig was kaput. Yeah. And we just drank like crazy, and we got schnockered yeah. bad. And then all of a sudden, the gig was on. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to play. My God, boy, Kenton, he came down on the band, man. He was awful. <laughs> He yelled at everybody? He really got pissed. Yeah. Because we couldn't play at all. Wow. At Princeton. You yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> God. So, uh, anyway, uh, so I stayed, uh, but I knew the band was going to get good, so I, I, I just got off the booze. Yeah. It, I don't know, a really great band with a juice and drummer. So you got off the booze, but the rest of the guys were still drinking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, you know, to this day... Uh, a lot of those guys died. Yeah, from yeah. drinking too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, they're good friends of mine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard, hard booze. wasn't just beer. Right. Wanting, you know, really hitting it. Yeah. Uh, like I say, around the clock. Your body can't take. It's got to take its toll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they played good, you know. I mean, they really played good. It's, I guess it's more important for the drummer to, to be, you know, yeah. locked in. If it, yeah. 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 And also, you're not consistent uh, like you should be at that level. Yeah. You know, there might be a night that you can't have a bad night. Right. You can't have some bullshit night where you're fucked up. And, right. You've got a reputation. And, yeah, yeah. And also, you, you don't want to let the band down or the whole scene down. Yeah. You know. So I, I may be... I will say... When I first started this gig here, I was drinking again. You know? This this gig at this bar? Right here. Okay. Yeah, I've been here about seven, eight years. Okay. And I was drinking uh, hitting, I was drinking a lot of wine, big time. And I'd, uh, I always played the first set sober, second set, but the third set I'd, you know, on the intermission, I'd have a lot of wine. Yeah. And I'd go up. And I will say, man, there was there's a little window right in there, but right. about 20 minutes where... You really are good, how many, man. How many drinks? Oh, a lot. But I big water glass full of red wine. Just boom! I always drank real fast. I see. So you so 
all your drinks in, and then you, then you play for 20 minutes, you're all right, and then it starts to get bad. Well, yeah, wasn't it, what I was going to say, though, is that for about 20 minutes there, I mean, you really are playing shit you wouldn't ordinarily play, and right. it's coming off. Right, because <laughs> you're not self-conscious. Yeah. yeah, but the thing is, then the booze, uh, if you stop, uh, you start falling asleep. Right. Uh, and if you keep going, you get drunk. Right. So, you know, what do yeah. you do? Yeah. That's how I am with uh, pool, with playing pool. If I have a, a couple of drinks, three drinks, yeah. I shoot pool really, really fucking well. <laughs> and then and then one more drink, and I'm shitty. You know what I mean? Or Just something yeah. about the, the yeah. brain and the, yeah. you know, the different I don't know. Lee Stoller, I played for years with Lee, and uh, quite a few of those years I was juicing real yeah. good on that gig. And uh, he... He said, he said, you played good. Yeah. You know, he said, you can really get, I got so I, you get a tolerance, I guess. Yeah, sure. You can just do it. When I first met you and started studying with you, you were into Miller Lite. I remember that. Yes. That was your Miller Lite. My uh, drug of choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was into that, but then I had, that's a lot of beer, man. Yeah. So I finally went to the red wine. So you mean a lot of beer to feel it? Yeah, no well, what happens, it's, it's just like any drug. At first, it, you know, I'd have like six beers and feel great, man. You know, it's really a good buzz. You know, and then you start building up a tolerance. Mm -hmm. And then it got so that I had to have 17 of them something. Right. Just before I felt the same thing. Right. You know, so I mean, man, you know, just killing yourself just to get that buzz you used to get with, yeah. you know, three that's or four how, beers. That's how all that stuff is. Yeah, so I build up a tolerance, and so I'm that way now. If I, I'd love to go home, you know, after the gig and have a couple of glasses of red wine. Yeah, and probably good for you, and then go to bed. Right. But I know me, man. Once I get that buzz going, I don't give a shit, you yeah. know. And I'll have, well, I'll have another one. And yeah. Then you get a, more of a buzz, and then you get into it. I, that's the way I'll do it. So yeah. It's better if I. Stay away from Stay it. away from it totally. Yeah. Did, did you ever get into uh, like other drugs, like psychedelic drugs, or? No, I never did. That's funny. I, Just wondering because it's that era, you know. Yeah, well, I was out in Frisco during the hippie era. Yeah, I mean, that was the center of it. Yeah, and uh, but I I was with Master at the time, the Supermoonio, the Guru. Okay. And so yeah, I I mean I observed it. I was right in it, really, in Frisco and all the kids around me. But uh, but he was he was anti. Well, you just didn't do. You didn't have to really. You didn't particularly want to. Yeah. No, I was. I don't know. It just didn't come my way. Sure. Psychedelics. Sure. Uh, a heroin. Uh, on Woody's band, we had a lot of junkies. Yeah. And uh, they were old school guys, boy, and they were great players, man. I swear to God, some of my favorite players were junkies. I'm sorry. Yeah. But they were. <laughs> it's, it's true. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, I mean, I mean throughout. Chad Baker, Chad Baker, just about all of them. <laughs> throughout jazz, I mean, I think that's a, that, you know, there's a lot yeah. of, a lot of really well, good know, junkies. Drugs are not all bad, you know. Like, when you get an insight off of a drug like that, sometimes yeah. the, the trouble is you think you can repeat it, but it doesn't repeat. Right. You know. But uh, sometimes, uh, I remember pot, when I first smoked pot uh, in the Army, uh, I started hearing music the way it really is. And I, I, because before that, I had my own little concept that I put on the music. But the pot stripped all that away, and I just listened to it as music. Yeah. Uh, 
and I'd never done that before. I, I definitely yeah. felt that way as well. Yeah. yeah. So, and Art Blakey said that he used to. Uh, he was he was a junkie for a while, and he said, "I will say it made me hear music right." Okay. Yeah, heroin did. Yeah. Did you did you ever try that? No. No. Mainly because you had to stick it in your arm. And yeah. It wasn't about <laughs> it. nasty. Yeah. Yeah, I remember you, you did tell me once in New York, you recorded yourself on a pot or something, and there was something in the beat that you could hear. Oh, that was on the uh, speed. Was that on speed? Yeah, okay. I've got the record at home. I uh, did it in Chicago with that good dance band I was with, Ralph Martieri, and we had a hot the chart, Val Swell, I think it was. And uh, the, it was a two-day date, you know, the first day I was uh, sober, so that part of the album was straight. Then the, the next day, that night, I'd gotten, the night before that, I got tore up with the guys, you know, so I came to the gig like flying, you know, and I never could get that beat, except when I was truly stoned on the uh, uppers. It, it, it was very simple, but it, it had a feel all its own uh-huh. that, that I never could get sober. Can you articulate the difference, or, or it's, it's hard to... Uh, it's kind of hard. It, it was kind of an elongated straight eight. Okay. Even though I was playing swing. Within swing. But it was a lo- real loose straight eight, but it was, I don't know, it just had to... It's, it's almost like an African thing, in a way. Well, no. I can't, it's subjective, like I say. You yeah. Can't, you can't describe it. Yeah, okay. You know, we don't have English words to describe that. Right. Right, but the, but I'd get it every time, and I'd still say I'd sell my soul for that beat, man. You know, and right. it felt so good. But you got to kill yourself to do it. <laughs> you know, sell your soul and your body. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can keep doing it, but you're not going to live long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that that does seem like the story of, of heroin and jazz. Uh, you know, I think. Yeah. It, it definitely pulled out something out of some of those guys that that was. Really deep, and, yeah. Uh, but a lot, most of those guys are right. dying quite young. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to me. I could. The only way I could get that was when I was out of it. And yeah. Boy, mm-hmm. it was there every time. Yeah. And I got it on record. It sounds great. You know. Yeah. For pot marijuana, did you find? I find this to be true with pot. It, it's better for listening for me. If I if I smoke and try to play. There's something that gets weird. You know what it is? It's the crossing of... The- I'll, I'll tell you what it is, because I had a group, uh, a quartet up in Indianapolis, and uh, uh, Steve Alley and uh, Claude Sifflin were the keyboard players, and uh, they smoked pot. You know, I didn't. I was not doing anything. But uh, we played six nights a week, and, you know, some nights they'd come to the gig and they hadn't smoked any pot. And, uh, but when they came to the gig on pot... The, the difference was that they didn't do anything wrong, but the, it's kind of like the lights were out. You know, it wasn't lit up. Huh, right. It didn't light up. Right. They were they felt out of it a little bit. Well, yeah, they didn't do anything wrong, you know, not at all. And they weren't fucked up or anything. But yeah. They, but the, it just didn't have to. Yeah. The fire wasn't there. Yeah. I, the thing you said earlier about it, it enabled you to hear music. Like it really is, and I feel like that's true. And I think there's some short circuiting that happens when you're the when you're the player and you're the listener, and the pot is like you're listening, like oh that's that's me playing, and then it's this cross that happens where you get caught in this 
thought loop that kind of pulls you down. I, I think it's it because there's a self consciousness within within your playing that starts to emerge. Yeah. Um, that I think can be dangerous. Mel Lewis, he didn't drink, but he did smoke pot. I don't know how much he did on the gig. Or Some guys can do it. Yeah, like but he said, told me he said. Well, he said there are different kinds of pot. He said there's paranoid pot. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, back then, I mean, that's very true now. Yeah, but I can't. Yeah. But back then, they didn't have. I, I can't mean, tell you know, the difference between different kinds. Of pot. I, I can a little bit. Sometimes. I mean, I mean, in California, the yeah, way, you know, well, sure. at, at the medical place where they had this is the upper, this is the I just think downer, there's good pot and there's bad pot. Yeah, but maybe the, all that stuff is true. We used to call it lemonade. Lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> that's the bad stuff. Bad pot. Yeah. I got burnt. <laughs> lemonade, <laughs> but lemonade is such a good thing. No, um, like lemons, like yeah, lemons, like yeah. yeah you yeah, buy yeah, a lemon yeah. car, I guess. Yeah, that's true. sour, true, weak. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And what 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 brought you? What what made you decide to start teaching? Uh, just in a lull. Rick and, made her. Okay. Uh, he found you, and he yeah. Said, he just asked me to go to the university. Although I did teach at a music store if I needed money. Okay. You know, in, in, in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. But I was teaching little kids. Real little. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, seven years old. And I teach a seven-year-old. What do you think about teaching like seven-year-olds? I loved it. Did it's you? A, one of the only, probably the only time I really enjoyed teaching. But did you have to teach them rudiments and stuff? Uh, yeah. But, okay. uh, but it was real. Basic It stuff. was so basic. Yeah. How do you teach a, tell me how to teach a seven-year-old. I'm not, I don't like it. I'm not good. Yeah, well, the thing was, I'd never thought about basic stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's so damn basic. You know, I had to show them how to hold the stick. You know, I had this little book called the Buddy Rich book. It was very simple. I had a little photograph of how to hold the stick, you know, and then it had a mom and daddy thing. And it was real simple. Nice little book. And, uh, and I'd have these kids, you know, and I'd just show them. And nobody learns more than the teacher. Right. You know, the teacher's the one that learns. And uh, so I tell them how to do this and try to you try to put yourself in their head, you know, what they're how they're seeing it. You know. But it was so damn basic, I'd never thought about those things. You know. Mm-hmm. It really taught me a hell of a lot. Yeah, yeah. I it's I, I teach two two kids, one drums and one piano, and I have no idea how to do it. And <laughs> I, I just yeah really try to well it's a kind of cross between you got to inspire them uh, but uh, sometimes you have to you know sometimes you have to strip away some of the, I remember we went through this but in jazz drumming especially in college yeah uh, they want you to learn all these licks yeah and they're all in books you know and then you learn this independence and well, what that does is it creates a grid work of all these licks, and they're all the—they're not your licks, you know. It's a book lick, right? And the thing that happens first of all, it has no shading at all. It's all the same volume. You try to play play it like that. Now, if you come up with your own licks, they're going to have shading, uh, different—you know—I mean, stuff you really can't write down, mm-hmm. you know. But they're your licks. Nobody else plays it. Right. Not like you do. It's different, you know. But you, but you have to teach kids licks or, or rudiments and stuff, but, but college kids you don't. No, I don't teach them that. Even the little kids? Uh, the little kids, I just taught them that Buddy Rich book. Yeah, okay. The simplest stuff. Yeah. Know? Yeah. 
I, I don't teach rooms because I don't know them. Right, right. You know, uh, that's why I quit. I went to Rick Van Meter finally. I told him I can't teach anymore. Oh, you don't teach anymore? No, okay. but I'm there. Okay. And he lets me, uh, he gives, I have a thing called a, a master lesson. Okay. And all I do is Art Gores, the regular teacher, mm-hmm. jazz, great jazz drummer. And uh, he teaches, you know, for an hour each student. <laughs> it's like death. I hate that. You hate the, the hour lesson oh, kind of Oh, God, thing. yeah. You get done with it. I can tell them everything I know in 10 minutes. Right. You know? <clears throat> and then the next guy comes in. I got an, another hour, you know. Right. And these are these are people that already, you know, they have their footing. You know, they're they're college right. Those kids. Those young guys are going to do what they're going to do anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, they don't listen to me. You know, they say yes, Mister Bonnell, but they don't do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great age. You got your own will. You come into your will when you're that age, like right, nineteen, twenty, eighteen. Yeah. It's the first time you've kicked into your own will, so you don't want to hear about it, man. Yeah. No, I didn't when I was that age. What what, what was the class like with with John? Well, I, I actually got a lot from it. Now I I did feel that after a certain amount of lessons, you were like, let's just hang out. There's not much more to. No, there's right. not much more. But the stuff you did give me, yeah, it's like mostly just about relaxation and how to hit the symbol. I remember one time you said. Uh, I was asking you what what was your you were playing a little bit. I remember this distinctly. Uh, you said I said what was your focal point uh, as far as you, you kind of feel the inside of your body while you're playing. That's what I was having you do, mm-hmm. and you were doing it. And uh, and you said you said uh, my butt on the seat. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And I knew exactly what you were talking yeah. about. You know. It's, it's where everything just goes down to that, mm-hmm. and then you just play it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he, mm. he, boy, he caught it big time. Like, ha- like that's cool that you remember. That. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, have like having a straight spine and being being centered, no. centered there. No, 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 you're just your focal point was sitting. Okay, where your butt touches the seat. Okay, it's like you know law of gravity. You know? Right, <clears throat> right. You know, you don't you don't try to do anything. You just drop on the seat. And that's what he was doing. Okay. You know? And everything extends from there. Yeah. And then you just sit there like a frog and then blow it out, you know. <laughs> you you, you kind of want to get away from your intellect. Right. And that's why I don't dig about school. It's too much intellect. Yeah. You know, they're intellectualizing things that don't need to be intellectualized. Right. For music, yeah. It's, yeah. The yeah. intellect is not the answer. No. no. I mean, you can... I suppose there's a couple of things here and there, but it's, yeah. like I say, it's a feel. Yeah. It's a feel, and feel isn't intellect. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I don't Every time I'm playing, I mean, I'm 100% on that cymbal beat. Every night, I look forward to it, still. Yeah. But it's the same thing I did when I was 17. I was playing with a damn cymbal, you know, and when I come to the gig, I look forward to coming to the gig so I can do that. Right. Yeah, you get paid to do it. And just concentrate every time you hit the, the thing, you know, and whatever I'm happen to be into that night. You know, just concentrate on that 100%. Right. Every beat, you don't let one get past you all night. Play them all right. Well, you play it all with that whatever you're into. Right? Yeah. You know? And uh, each guy's different. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to the gig. Mm-hmm. Just do that. I think to be a drummer, you've got to love to play time 
more than anything else. You know, yeah. Chops and all that, it's fine, but the, the guys that get the work are the guys with the feel. Right. they got the good feel. I, I couldn't agree more than that, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything else is just... Same with bass players. Dressing. Same with bass players, yeah, pretty much, I like, yeah. I like a simple bass player. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, you know, a bass player is... It's unfortunate that in jazz, drumming, is, and, or rock, or anything, uh, you're married to the bass player, man. Right. You know, and if, it, if you guys don't agree, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. I'd, I'd almost rather have a bass player who's way more simple and a drummer who... who is a little looser, to be honest, I like and strays a little bit, um, but the bass player always keeps it grounded. That's my preference anyway. Yeah, I had a bass player last night I was playing with. He, he and I usually get along, but it was just one of those nights for him, I guess. He was playing a medium up, you know, and boy, he was backing me too far, you yeah. know. And I was trying to get him. He was playing too far behind? Yeah, it, I mean, it was uncomfortable for me. Yeah. I couldn't get the, get the thing popping. It's hard was work. He, you think he was telling you to pull back in a way? No, or, he or wasn't he... doing anything like that. You know, he's a young guy and he's a damn good bass player. Yeah. But he, Why was he hanging back that far? It's just, uh, I think it's because probably when you play bebop, you know, you know, kind of up, mm -hmm. you know, I tend to want to get up on it. I see. Just because the tempo was fast. And yeah, he, I like to. He couldn't hang. Like I lay back. Uh, by nature, but not on a fast tempo. I like, yeah. I like to get up on it. In fact, uh, if it rushes, that that's fine. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, he was laying back too far, so I turned to him and I said, uh, while we were playing, I said, "Yeah, get up on the beat a little bit. Yeah. Said, get up on it." Okay. And he did, like right then. Yeah. He worked. probably just wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Know, happening. Yeah, he was lagging. That's yeah. all. Yeah. A lot of it is just awareness. Yeah. And if you don't say anything, then you're going to be in torture all night. Right, so it's, right. It's like you said, you better say something. <laughs> Definitely. But you don't want to be too aware. That's the thing. It's like when you, especially, you know, as a, a drummer like me, who's a, uh, not very good. Not, not aware here. Though. I'm not a very good drummer. But for me, if I start to think too much about my tempo, then it's it can kind of fuck me up. Yeah. Different. I know. No, definitely. It's a different kind of awareness, though. Jazz is a great form of music because you can uh, you can be playing along, you know, and it's, everything's copacetic, and then you say, "Well, fuck that," and then just do something outrageous. Right. Right. You know, just blow the whole thing up. It has no logic at all. Right. You know, it's pretty hard to find a music like that. But you. But that. But that said. That said, you. 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 You said you. You. You're more in the big band camp. And, and whatnot, which is which, which you can't really do that, right? Not with big. Well, I don't. I, oh, you mean like do something? Yeah, just like fuck around, like like with a beep, a loose bebop bop group. Well, you I can, sure do on the fill-ins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some of the fill-ins I get into, it's it's like throwing the drums down the steps. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing the band Seeing comes how they back land. in. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do I do like that? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and sometimes I screw it up. I got a tape. Lynn Seaton was playing that night at the first Blue Wisp, and the bands were playing along, you know, and it's swinging. And I got a, I had a four-bar break, you know, and immediately I threw myself off the cliff, you know. And so, but then I lost it. 
You know, in my right. head, I didn't know where I was. <laughs> and I heard Len Seaton on the tape. I could, he, right away, he went, oh, shit. You know, and then the band just waited for me to get done with whatever the hell I was into. And they and I always hit off. this rim shot. And they just waited for that rim shot. Right, and then right. they all came in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was yeah you got to listen, I guess, a lot. as, as the... <laughs> Well, they knew my... Playing right, right. so well that they they knew that they, they, they that, that, that last thing I was going to do would be that room shot. So they yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Anything else you're curious about, or you know, uh, we cover a lot of ground. We but, did no, or anything else good. you want to you want to mention, or, or uh, that, that you know we glossed over, and that that is important for for people to hear, or anything. Well, one of the most important things with my life has been. Uh, uh, Meditation with that master. Okay. Because uh, when I played, when I, before I met him, I played one way, and then when I started meditating, something else came in. You know, and I started to, I started, things just became more inner. Uh, when I was younger, I had uh, goals. I wanted to be with Stan getting in a, in a, a big name band. You know, well, I realized that, and I did well at it. In fact, I got a pretty big name off of it at the time but now my goal <clears throat> when I play is more inner you know I think it's that meditation do, do you still meditate yeah every day but I don't 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 get me wrong man you know I'm not one of these you know getting deep into it I just have a little thing I do that, can you tell me about what it is what you what do you do well basically just I'm lazy as hell and I'm not a good master he, he told me Last time I talked to him, he said, you were always the best student, and I was the worst. You know, I mean, the He's worst. still alive? No, he died he a died. Okay. years ago. Okay. But uh, he was just being nice to me, I think. But uh, kind of had to let me go on my own, because they were getting into Hinduism so deep that you, I had to move out there, basically. Right. You know, and just become... I had to trade in this life for that, and I wasn't about to do that, so... And he knew it. You know, he was, he was great. He said, "Call anytime." And so, but t- can you tell me about your your daily practice? Yeah, you know, well, mine's real easy, man. I'm a lazy man. Uh, That's you, good. I tell. Well, you said well, like there's a lot of us like that. Well, so. all three of us are Tauruses, so yeah. Okay. He said uh, basically, I just sit like this, hands on straight, knees. straight with it. Yeah, yeah. And put your heels together. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and then. Uh, uh, Good to clear your breath, kind of. Just get rid of it. Okay. Then you sit there, and then basically you let what the Vivekananda, the great yogi back in the 1800s, said. He said, just let the monkey run around. The so, brain. Okay. Yeah. So you you're, you're going to think about everything under the sun, and it's all bullshit. Right. Know? And you think what you got to do, you think about hamburgers, you think about everything. Chicks, you know, God knows what it is. And he said, don't try to stop that. Just let it go free. And what will happen if you sit there long enough and you don't move? That's the one thing. Don't move anything. Just sit And you kind of watch your breath. You don't have to manipulate it. Just kind of watch it going back and forth in the diaphragm. Uh-huh. And then uh, after a while, the physical body will tend to quiet down. You know? 
and then you kind of feel good, you know, that meditational feeling good. And then uh, the next thing that happens, if it happens, and it's pretty rare with me that it ever happens, but uh, the astral body, which is the body of the intellect and the emotions, that quiet that quiets down too. You know, and once the, if you get if you really concentrate, you know, on just just uh, just letting it quiet down by itself, uh, then that astral body quiets down. Then the body and soul, which is the body of light, yeah, you know, is right there. It's there all the time, but it's getting clouded over all the time by all this shit we got to do. You know, so that's why you it's good maybe once a day to. You know, you can start out with 10 minutes. You know, 10 minutes, sitting there doing... Is that what you do, about, 10 or, or... do 20. 20 minutes, and you do it in the morning or night or afternoon? Uh, I should do it in the morning, but there is no morning with me. Right, so, same here. Yeah, so uh, I just do it when I get up. When you get up, okay. Yeah, first thing, and usually if you don't want to do it, that's the time you do it. Yep. Yeah, don't wait until you're inspired to meditate. Right. Yeah, just get up in the morning, if you don't want to do it, just do it. Before you before you drink any water or take a shit or anything. Uh, no, I I'll drink some water. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, and then maybe at night before you go to bed a good time too. Right. Ten minutes. But that's my lazy way of doing it. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's that's pretty much what people say. You know, is is twenty minutes. You know, but what I'm telling you though, for that astral body to quiet down on its own it takes a long time. Yes. Usually. Yes. Sometimes it'll happen quick, but with me, it's real rare when that happens. Yeah, same here. I've, I've, I've meditated a bit. I haven't been recently, but I feel like I've I've felt that that stripping away of that of that that part of the self. Then very then when, very briefly. Then when I got twice, into a simple maybe. thing, you know, I've been meditating. I, I didn't wasn't even trying to, you know, equate the two. Right. But I think by doing that, I started. Start finding a place in myself that was kind of always the same. You know, it doesn't change. You know, you just stay there. And uh, so I got into the symbol beat, and it, I found a spot there. You no, know, it just felt right. I, that, that was the place to put it. Once again, I can't describe it. <clears throat> it's just uh, it's a feel. And uh, then after a while, all these years of uh, like when Mary Ellen was uh, dying, mm-hmm. you know. That was a, usually a tough time for most people. Yeah. And it was for me, but I, I was meditating, and, and uh, it kept, and I, I think it helped her, too. It kept me centered. Yeah. And it kept her centered, too, I think. You know, I talked to her, I wouldn't get emotional and freak, you know, crying and all that. And I mean, I was, I grieved. Yeah. You can't help it. But, uh, but uh, I don't know, it, it, it kind of keeps you centered. It's a kind of balance between loose and then uh, you're right there. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's... To hear that it, it helps even in a, a close loved one who passes, even in that situation, it can be... Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I find I have two lives. One is when I don't meditate, which I'll go through a period like you. I'll go through yeah. a period where I just don't do it. I don't yeah. know why. And then I uh, go for a few days like that, and then that's that's one me. You know, but as soon as I start meditating, 
it's this other me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so it's, it's like two lives. Yeah. 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 I'm sold. I, I mean, yeah, down. me too. I need to get back into it, definitely. But it's, it's, it's kind of subtle. It's kind of like smoking pot. Right. First time I smoked pot, I didn't get any message off, yeah. off it at all. Right. You know? I, I've tried meditating, and I know that I like it. I, I'm just I'm lazier than you at this point with it. I know that it's good for me. I've done some yoga, and I just haven't, you know, until you have that real well, you're reason. You're good. You're naturally good at it. Yeah. You know, what's your background? Uh, ethnically? Yeah. Uh, we're Jewish. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that, Israel? Or? Well, our parents are from, well, the, our parents are from here, but my grandparents from Latvia and... The, what they call the, uh, the pale of civilization, like the yeah. or, uh, pale, of, pale of sediment, sorry. Where all, Eastern all, all the Jews got pushed to that Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, pretty much. And my yeah. mom's family's a little more... Unclear. Well, you know, when I was teaching you, though, you know, you, I mean, I would, we weren't talking about yoga or anything, but you, you seem to do that just real natural. We talked about that stuff some. I yeah. remember, yeah, a little bit. And I think through you and, and my other friend, Bear Me, I got into some uh, of that stuff at that time. But I'm, I will say, though, uh, be careful with meditation because you really ought to have a guru. Because you know, why? What what can happen? Because otherwise? they guide you. That's what a guru, you know, they guide. And uh, when you start, get, you know, going inside yourself, and uh, if you start really getting in there a little bit, uh, you can go off into some weird tangents. Some shit you, you know. can't handle, kind it's of like thing. Like Lee Stoller, he meditated. Uh, he did good. He meditated twenty minutes in the morning, twenty minutes at night for quite a while. But then he started getting into some area that was uh, really messing with him physically. And he talked to his doctor about it, and, and uh, something was... So he quit. He just stopped. And, Weird. Uh, yeah, and and, uh, and I think that's what a guru does. They can keep you, you know, they bat you back, you know, and keep you in a certain place. You know. Where do so you, where I do you find say, a guru well, these days? Well, gurus are hard to find. I, <laughs> I found a guru because I was so fucked up. You yeah. Know, I finally... And it was that time, too, where they... Yeah, and the, and the intensity of me being so screwed up, you know, that I was right on the verge of dying, that the, you attracted, you know. Right. So, how you get one, I don't know. Yeah. But the, it's, it's, it's better to have a guy. I'd like one. I have no idea how to find one. Well, you know... Right here. That's oh, it. not me, man. No way. Check, you can check on the internet. You can uh, look up... Uh, you get so many quacks, though, out there. Uh, yeah. Well, you can look up Master, my guru, on the internet. Okay. He's got a lot of talks in there. You know, check him out. Stuff he says. Yeah. Uh, you uh, might put it down. It's uh, Master Subramunia. Subramunia. Uh, S-U-B-R-A-M-U-N. I Y A. Okay. Super Moonian means uh, super is light, and uh, Moonian is giver, light okay. giver, and Yah, the end means restraint. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I, I think that's that's yeah. a good, that's a good place to uh, yeah just to end this. I think. I yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, I've been sitting here. I could keep going asking questions, but I think we've we've done. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could do another one one time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I've been sitting here with John Von Olin, Josiah Wolf, uh, at this uh, little little jazz club, bar, restaurant place, De Felice. De Felice. De Felice, Covington, Kentucky. 
Wander and Wolf signing off. Say bye to these people. Yeah, man. No. Yeah, baby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It, it is my pleasure to bring these to you. Yoni Wolf is my name. This is the Wandering Wolf podcast. You can find me on, uh, on the internet. You can you can email me, the Wandering Wolf podcast at gmail.com. You can donate to that email address via PayPal. I, I, at some point, I got to get my, my shit together and put together a website and have a button and have merch and all, all that shit. If any of you are good at that kind of stuff um, and, and can charge me a nominal fee, something something affordable to uh, put together a website and all that kind of thing for, for The Wandering Wolf, please let me know. I could really, I think that would be enhanced my message. I've, I've been wondering what I can do because I, you know, I'd like to get out there more with the podcast. I think it's good, honestly, and I'm not a cocky person, but I think I'm getting good at uh, pulling things out from people. I think I'm getting good at talking to people or, or listening rather. Um, and I think there's, you know, if you listen to this, I, I, you probably agree that there's a validity to this podcast. It's, 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 uh, it's one of the good ones. And uh, I'd like to get it out there more. I'm not on a network. I don't know how to do that. I, t- I had used to have conversations with one guy. But uh, I'd, I'd at least like to get my shit together, get a web page, and uh, hopefully be able to get it out there to the people more. If you, if you listen and you love it, tell your friends about it. You probably already do naturally. That's like what you would naturally do. But get on iTunes and, uh, you know, give it a, 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 a good rating if you like it on iTunes. That helps. You know, uh, write a review of it. That, that stuff. Because I, I don't know. I don't think my iTunes status is very good. I think a lot of you listen on SoundCloud, probably, which is fine. SoundCloud is, is uh, great as well. But yeah, I, I like to get out there more with it. Is that wrong? Is that wrong? I, I, I know I haven't talked about the Ferguson situation and and all the all the uh, protests going on and that's happening in my city too uh, they shut down the highway a few days ago uh, one of the one of the main highways in town and uh, protesters did and a bunch of people got arrested you know I, I I'm not a political person as such obviously um it, that situation is very frustrating. When I say that situation, I mean the police officer that killed Mike Brown, of course, as you know, uh, got off. Obviously, not obviously, some of you might be right-winger, uh, whatever, cop-sider folks, I don't know. I'm not anti-cop, but it's gotten out of hand the way that, that uh, they treat young black men of, of, uh, especially um, and th- just that that relationship and, and, and the way they perceive um, young black men as, as just necessarily a threat that's all obvious shit okay I don't I'm, I don't feel qualified to talk about this stuff but we all feel it I mean that next day and I sent out a couple tweets about it but that next day, you know, you just feel like 
there's like a, a, a an underlying anger, you know. Um, and I'm not a young black man, you know, and I don't have to, you know, walk around fearful that this might happen to me, you know, if I if I, you know, wear the wrong kind of hoodie or uh, you know are walking on the wrong kind of streets at the wrong kind of time, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, yeah. So I, I just wanted to mention that because I didn't, I didn't mention it last week. And I, I don't remember if that verdict happened before, before the podcast last week or after, I think it was after. Okay. So I'm in, I'm in the clear there at least, but okay. So I'm mentioning it now. I, I just want to set this in history because posthumously, you know, I want people to be able to go through these and uh, listen and be aware of what's going on in in, uh, in history. So that's that's the big thing that happened this week. There must be a, there's probably another big thing that I'm missing, but that's okay. Uh, I I I was up till six in the morning yesterday. Um, do, I, I mastered this covers tape that I have that's going to come out. And I didn't, fuck, I didn't say my dates. You're supposed to say those up front so that people listen to those because a lot of people are not listening to this. If you're there right now, you're probably not listening to this. It's like, nah, you'd have to be listening if you're there. But I did a covers tape that's going to come out as a tape and digital, and you can purchase it from me. Uh, I'll explain later and uh, get the links out later to that. And I'll have t-shirts as well very soon. But, uh, and and these things are going to premiere at a tour that I'm doing solo with Astronautilus and Bluebird performing as well. Rap, rap songs, raps from my, from throughout my whole career. Why? All my old groups, Cloud Dead, Jaime's Basement, Reaching Quiet, I play songs from all that shit. It's a fun time, it's like a retrospective, uh, even though I'm not dead yet and I'm still moving forward. Sometimes it's nice to honor the past. So I'm doing that. Atlanta on December 16th at the Masquerade. December 17th is in Pensacola at the Vinyl. December 18th is in Jacksonville at the Jack Rabbits. And December 19th, Orlando at Back Booth. December 20th is in Tampa at the Orpheum. December 27th is in Cincinnati at the Northside Tavern. That's a free show. That's a free show. So come to that. If you're in town here, uh, go to that. The other ones, uh, you have to buy tickets, but they're not expensive. All right. Sorry to miss that earlier. Okay, you guys, I I should step out, wake up, get on with my day, put this together, and uh, move forward in life even though I could, I could stay in bed forever. And I apologize for a weird congestion. It's not illness. It's just uh, mourning. But you know what I want to say to you guys. Have a great week and keep wandering.
like an outro. I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> or something like that.